0: Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're going to talk about building a healthy relationship with food, building a healthy relationship with food. And today we're talking Building a healthy relationship with food. Okay. And today we're talking building a healthy relationship with food. Now, fuck that. All right, let's go. Maybe I should leave that in. <laughs>
1: You should. We need We need a little bit of humor.
0: Uh, all right, Nicole. So there are two extremes when it comes to relationships with food. Mm-hmm. There's the end of the spectrum where it's, you know, the typical I have an unhealthy relationship with food. I eat calories in excess. I eat tons of sugar and refined processed foods. Right. So you're and, talking and, overeating. And, yeah, I overeat. I, I don't exercise. I'm not physically active whatsoever, mm-hmm. and I don't. I don't really pay attention, right? I'm not conscious around what I'm eating at all whatsoever. And it's, you know, that has its negative consequences. But there's also the other end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. where we see people obsessive, Mm -hmm. constantly having to track every morsel of food. Like, you know, perfect example. I, I remember working with a client way back. This was years, five, six years ago instead of tracking ounces of certain things or a cup of something, mm-hmm. it had to be in grams because grams was like the most it's, you know, it's the smallest unit, right? I mean, yeah, you could track in milligrams, but I don't know anybody that tracks food in milligrams, right? That'd be crazy.
1: That'd be That would be even
0: crazier than <laughs> tracking in grams. And listen, I mean, grams in other countries, they track in grams right in the US. We track in ounces and Mm -hmm. ounces is that's not part of the metric system that, you know, everybody else uses except for us. So, yeah, there is a kind of case for tracking things in grams. But it was to the point where the reason why he was tracking in grams was because, all right, like I can remove a few grains of rice and get the exact amount of grams. And that to me is the other end of the spectrum that we're talking about here where it's you're overemphasizing everything. You're overly focused. You're hyper focused on your nutrition. And that is it's a very stressful way to live. Yeah. And it's not something that, you know, that that's where we swing to the other side. And oftentimes I see this with individuals who have gone through a weight loss journey Mm -hmm. and they've lost a ton of weight. Right. And we're talking people who, you know, you're obese or borderline obese and you've lost a significant amount of weight and you're so scared to go back to that place. Mm -hmm. You track every morsel of food that goes in. And that is extremely unhealthy as well, Mm -hmm. arguably just as unhealthy as the other end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I've seen that even with the 10 pound weight loss or 15 or 20 pound weight loss, they get so hyper focused on not gaining it back that they become completely obsessed with the fear of gaining a pound. a pound. Yeah, exactly. Or gaining the, that 10 or 15 pounds back and then 10 or 15 pounds more. So they're like, I just can't let go of it. I have to hold on to this. Yeah, I mean, go oh, either
0: way. And we've seen this with competitors. And yeah, Nicole, they the- you-
1: they're to me the worst.
0: You and I have talked about this and I. I say that I see this with more so with women than I do with men, although it does occur with men as well. Like you Mm -hmm. talked about when we had this conversation earlier, there are things that, you know, some of these coaches that are coaching these competitors, they, they don't see the warning signs
1: Yeah. in
0: terms of, Hey, like I need to make sure that my clients are having a healthy relationship with food and Mm -hmm. that they're not falling off the deep end. And it's just this, you know, I constantly have to focus I'm constantly. I'm always dieting. I'm always in and out of dieting. And then, you know, oftentimes you see you get in this binge restrict pattern where you restrict yourself so much you end up binging out and you're like, I don't know why I can't control myself. Well, yeah, the reality is that you can't control yourself because you've restricted yourself so much. You can't live your life that way.
1: I feel like the the mindset of not wanting to gain back weight, Can apply to anyone, a competitor, general population client, someone that's lost to over like 50 to 100 pounds. Like It could be in any scenario, but not wanting to fall back into old patterns is what then generates this obsession to not want to make any mistakes. We've talked about this so many times that making mistakes is the way that you learn how to build a better relationship, not just with food, but exercise and how you treat yourself. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I feel like that's what happens is they don't the perfection aspect of things becomes so all consuming that they don't want to fall in or losing the habit loop that has gotten them to this point.
0: I think that this is a kind of case where, you know, we see the anti diet culture coming out mm-hmm. now and we see yeah. the we see the intuitive eating culture mm-hmm. coming out and, you know, don't track your food and don't do this and that and don't do all these things and fuck diet culture and you know, I think some of that has been birthed through that because people have gone through this over and over and over again, and they're sick and tired of it. And now the, a lot of the message has become that like, okay, well you have to, you know, do it intuitive eating that there's like almost kind of like no balance that you, exactly. Right. And to me, I don't agree with that. I, I think that when you dieted and I'm going to use the word dieting because it, it is a, it is a thing, right. And it's not negative. It has a negative connotation because of the way people approach it. I think it's important to realize that, that it's not, okay, I have to do something like intuitive eating because the, because diet culture sucks. Like you became obsessive over things and you didn't have a balance in your strategy. So it, it doesn't mean that, okay, well, we need to throw out dieting completely. It means that you need to develop a healthy relationship with food. And that to me as a coach is the most important piece.
1: You also have to know the type of person you are. I say this all the time to just people in general when it comes to nutrition. What type of person are you when it comes to flexible food plans? Can you have one cookie on a Friday night once a week and add it into your food plan and be great enjoying the cookie and that's enough and it satisfies you? Or are you the type of person that eats one cookie then you go back and eat three more cookies. And then the next day you're searching for ice cream. And four days later, you're now knee deep in, you know, a 2000 calorie surplus. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, like, who are you and where do you fit into that spectrum?
0: Or to add to what you're saying, are you the person? Because I know myself very well and I don't keep junk, quote, junk food. Right. I don't really mm-hmm. I don't want to kind of label a food. Are you able to keep certain foods in your house or if they're in your house? you're going to eat a whole box of cookies, right? Mm-hmm. So I know myself and I'm probably going to eat the whole box of cookies. So I don't keep those things in the house. I make it a little bit more inconvenient for me exactly. to have to go out and get those foods.
1: I love that word. Inconvenient is a good word because some people would say, well, drone if you can't keep cookies in the house, then you better start practicing having cookies in your house and get used to having them in your food plan and just make it flexible. But for you, that doesn't work.
0: That's the thing with the anti-diet culture and the healthy Mm -hmm. at every size and the intuitive eating. It's like, well, you you should have to have these foods in your home. And I don't agree with that.
1: I think everybody's
0: different. I think everybody Mm -hmm. has a unique relationship with food. Yes. And what we're and what we're talking about here is that relationship, your unique relationship with food in knowing yourself has to be a healthy relationship.
1: Right. And you have to figure out what range is comfortable for you. Like I, there's so many clients that we work with that have a, a whole, I mean, the slew, a variety of people that we work with in terms of, what works for one that doesn't work for the other. If we try it, I mean, it's like cookie cutter meal plans doesn't work because not everybody can follow that cookie cutter meal plan. It's the same thing with the relationship. Everybody's relationship because of what how they grew up even, like you know what type of relationship with food you had around your family will affect then how you have a relationship now. The relationship you have with food around your kids or spouse or whatever the case may be is gonna be different for everyone. Cookies can stay in my house for months because it's not something that really bothers me to have. I'm different than you. They they, I wouldn't even touch them
0: moving along. I want to talk about some signs that you may be having a bad relationship with food.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: You feel guilty about eating
1: in general, or you
0: (laughs) feel guilty about eating certain foods Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that guilt kind of eats at you like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. Or I just ate this. Is this bad? Right. Mm. You're constantly asking Can for you're you're, you're, pro- you're you're constantly looking for like approval or validation or you're looking for somebody to, to justify something for you. That is one sign that like you should never feel guilty about eating. You made a decision. You made a choice. Mm-hmm. Stop harping on it. Move forward.
1: Learn from whatever the choice was. This is my whole thing about mistakes or not even mistakes, but choices. What emotions came up over it? What well, could you have done better?
0: Yeah. And what emotions and I've done this and I know you've done this as well. K- keep a kind of emotion slash food log. I think that that's helpful for some people. So mm-hmm. if you're keeping a food journal and you're somebody who's fine with keeping a food journal, then keep a, a kind of like a feeling journal in addition to that so that you can recognize what behaviors cause you to eat certain things. And then you can tackle that because it's not necessarily really about the food. It's about how you're feeling. It's about your mood. It's about your emotions, right? There's a lot of emotional tie in with foods. We, we, we know that there are certain hormonal responses when we're stressed out and this may trigger uh, eating behaviors, right? Uh, You know, I can go into, uh, in cortisol, uh, elicits an insulin response. Right. And then that causes you to potentially maybe crave carbohydrates. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's something that you want to tackle. And it's not necessarily that you need to tackle the food choice. You need to tackle the feeling around what kind of made you make that decision in terms of what's your trigger. Right.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you go for a a box of cookie, a box of cookie, when you go for a box of cookies, I
0: go for the whole box.
1: Right. But do you have you ever correlated that to how you feel in a day? Like if you're angry or upset or yeah, I, tired, ever- tired
0: is tired. my thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, me- and I know myself when I'm tired, I make. So my thing is, OK, well, if I'm tired and I make poor and this is off, there's a lot of people if right. I'm tired and I'm making poor food choices because I'm tired, the solution isn't about the food, the food. choices. Mm-hmm. The solution is I need to make sure I'm getting adequate sleep. So right. what am I doing to focus on that?
1: Yes. So that's the habit, not the food. choice. Right.
0: And that's where coaching really comes in because Mm -hmm. we tackle things that are and this is the integral part or integrating things like food is not separate for your life from your life that we talk Mm -hmm. about all the time. It's intertwined together, your relationships with other people, if you have A bad interaction with somebody that's in your life and that's causing you to make certain decisions with your food, or you say, Hey, you know what? I'm in a pissed off mood. I don't want to go to the gym today. You need to evaluate the relationship that you have with another person and how that's affecting your progress. It's all intertwined together. And Nicole, we've talked about this over and over again. And that is one thing that is a staple in our coaching process where we say, Hey, like this is about your entire life, it's not just about your food and exercise.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And oftentimes we find people with certain types of behaviors that tend to kind of go off the deep end with their nutrition when it comes to their relationship with food and restricting themselves and all this stuff. So speaking of restricting yourself, that's going to be kind of the next thing that I want to talk about is you avoid or restrict certain foods that are quote unquote bad for you. Mm -hmm. And you label foods as either good or bad. Well, I'm having an apple and that's good, but I'm having a banana and that's bad. Or I have a cookie and that's a bad food. No food is inherently bad. The way that I look at foods is, yeah, some are going to be more optimal than others. And that's that's really the kind of the word that I want to use is what's more optimal. And when you kind of reframe your mind around foods as being, hey, a little bit more optimal or less optimal, even a quote, bad food can be optimal in certain situations.
1: Absolutely.
0: For example, if you just did, let's say you're a runner and you just ran long distance, you're going to need carbohydrates and glycogen. So high sugar foods Mm -hmm. right, that are high in refined sugars may be something that you want to have, like those gel packs that marathon runners use. Yeah. Those are things that those are just sugar. And those are things that we use in times that we need them. So you also have to look at not just what's more optimal and what's less optimal. You have to kind of look through the lens of context and Mm -hmm. say, okay, well, like what's going to be more optimal in the situation that I'm in right now, if you're just sitting around and you're not moving a lot, then yeah, consuming a high amount of sugar, like your body doesn't need that. Your glycogen storage is full. Your body's not gonna use or need those carbohydrates. And chances are, if you have those carbohydrates and you're in a caloric surplus, you're gonna store some fat. The other thing in terms of evaluating your relationship with food is if you've developed a long, kind of like a laundry list of rules surrounding the foods that you can or can't eat. And examples of this could be, I'm not eating past a certain time of day, or, you know, some of the rules that fasting is super, I had a conversation with somebody in the gym today about fasting, right? And he was telling me, he's like, Hey, like, you know, he's like, it was keto before, and now it's fasting and everybody's talking about, you need to fast, right? That's kind of a rule that you're setting for yourself. It's well, I can only eat in this kind of 16, the typical, you know, intermittent fasting is, you know, 16 hours fasting, eight hours eating, right? So you sleep for eight hours you fast for another eight hours after you wake up and then you have an eight hour eating window and God forbid you eat something outside of that. Like Mm -hmm. maybe that's not something that you can handle. That might be great for some people and that might be a good strategy for creating a calorie deficit because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when it comes to intermittent fasting and fat loss, the whole thing that you're doing, the reason why you're accelerating fat loss when you're intermittent fasting is because you're creating a calorie deficit because you have a time restricted eating window. Another example of this could be cutting out and you kind of fill in the blank cutting out sugar cutting out gluten cutting out dairy and i and you am, don't need to when you yeah so i'm all for if you have celiac or you have some type of quote like gluten sensitivity or dairy for example you know i'm cutting out dairy because i don't know dairy makes me fat you know i used to see this with competitors all the time that like oh well I don't have dairy leading up to the competition because mm-hmm. you know it makes me retain water or some crazy stuff ridiculous. Dairy. And I, I'm like, yeah. well, you guys are you have no idea what you're talking about. Dairy, listen, I have some feelings about dairy. And this is like my ever since I cut out dairy. I honestly don't I don't think humans are really meant to have dairy products. And I think that majority, probably 70% of the population, maybe even more, can't handle and they are lactose intolerant. The dairy thing is. You know, I'm a little off topic here, but the dairy thing is, I think more people are lactose intolerant than they know. People just think that it's just digestive issues and it's, you know, presents on your skin, eczema, acne, things like that. Right. So I do think that majority of people can't handle dairy.
1: But that's different from a weight loss standpoint. That's different from food rules. If I cut dairy, I'll, I'll lose weight. This is what I'm thinking when you say that versus
0: yeah, absolutely. someone that
1: cuts dairy or gluten out for health reasons, which is to yeah. me what you're talking about. Those
0: are those are two different things, you know, creating these rules and these boundaries that you can't go outside of. And, you know, God forbid you go outside of these boundaries, then it's like the end of the world. And it's like everything comes crashing down. But, you know, the reality <laughs> is like you, you have to be realistic about this. It's not the end of the world. And you, you can't have you, you, these rules are they're just Ultra restrictive. You can't have so many rules around your eating.
1: Yeah, I think it's the rule part is more from a psychological standpoint. It makes us think that if we have the rules in place, that everything will fall into place in terms of achieving the goal. The rules that you put in your brain, you think, okay, if I do these things, then the weight will come off or I'll get leaner. And then when that doesn't happen, it crushes our mindset around this quote-unquote rule creating the success that we want. It becomes a vicious cycle from a mindset standpoint that this happens all the time for our listeners. If you've ever been like, well, three of my friends are doing this and they're all losing weight, but I try and do it and nothing happens. Or I create these food rules around for my meal plan and my body doesn't do a damn thing. Well, that's because it's not right for you. It has nothing to do with the rules. Those aren't gonna make or break the goal, it's just not right for you. And you need to find a different approach.
0: All right. So the uh, next sign of a bad or unhealthy relationship with food, and this is kind of, you know, kind of goes against a lot of things that we talk about, but we'll go a little bit more in depth on this. You rely on calorie counters or apps to tell you when you're done eating for the day. And when you eat outside of that, it's, you know, it's seen as a kind of a bad thing. Now, I'm all for journaling your food, because I do think that that can create a healthy relationship with food in terms of educating yourself and learning about how many calories are in certain foods, macronutrients, right? Like it's an eye opener when you put a chocolate chip muffin in Mm -hmm. a food journal and you realize that's like five, 600 calories. And that's basically a meal right there. And I just ate that and I'm not satiated. And 30 minutes to an hour later, I'm hungry and I'm eating again. And this is the reason why I'm eating calories in excess. This is where I'm pro food journals. But if you're going to become so obsessive about it, then that's another conversation.
1: Food journals are a great teaching tool. I think they're fantastic. But again, it depends on who you are as a person. I have clients that write food down on a notebook and a piece of paper. They don't even count calories and they don't track macros. And they're extremely successful because we talk about how you plate your food and what it looks like from a, um, you know, an open conversation about quality of food.
0: And oftentimes we've had clients that, you know, if you change the quality of your food, that Mm -hmm. does it for you and that creates that calorie deficit. Right. You Mm -hmm. might have like a 500 calorie drop in calories just creating healthier food choices.
1: And then you have the person that journals in like a MyFitnessPal like we like. And they learn, like you said, they have an eye-opening experience. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that muffin was that many calories. And they start to learn how to make better choices and different decisions. Then you have the person, to your point, that is obsessive-compulsive. Whether they write it on a sheet of paper, whether they put it in a journal, or whether they just track it in their mind, because they're just obsessive-compulsive about the re- feeling that they need to have that restriction to get to the goal, which we know you don't need to do to get to the goal. So. The the spectrum is broad here, and that's why there's no one way to do any of this. It all depends on who you are as a person.
0: The next thing is you ignore your body's natural hunger cues. And I don't mean this from an intuitive eating. I know you're giving me that look, Nicole, but Mm -hmm. I don't look at this from like an intuitive eating standpoint, like listening to your body's hunger cues, because we do know that with the food frequency, right? Somebody who eats two meals a day versus three meals a day versus five meals a day,
1: mm-hmm. that's
0: going to change your hunger cues. Yeah. So that much we know, and we can't rely on hunger cues if we have disordered eating to begin with. And that's causing mm-hmm. those hunger cues to be a little bit kind of off. The point here is, you know, oftentimes you have that person that restricts themselves so much that they're walking around hungry all day. And they're completely ignoring it. And and this goes for the people that are eating, you know, like sub a thousand calories. With that being said, I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. If you're in a calorie deficit and you're a little bit hungry, Mm -hmm. let's say maybe you go to bed a little bit hungry at night. Things are changing. That's that's fine. That's fine. Right. And and you should be able to evaluate, you know, your we talk about your hunger, energy and cravings. Mm -hmm. We should be able to evaluate those things. We can be a little bit hungry, but we don't want to be overly hungry. We can crave things a little bit, but we don't want to overly crave things. Right. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that our energy is generally for the most part. We're not walking around tired and lethargic all day because we're restricting ourselves too much.
1: And there's the difference between physiological hunger and emotional hunger. So this one's really. Yeah, this one's hard because. are are, what are you really hungry for? Well, the
0: question is, are you really hungry?
1: Or are you really hungry? Yeah. So when you say follow your natural hunger cues, oh my gosh, there's not one person I know that actually authentically knows when their hunger for food versus hunger for emotional support, like all the different aspects of, you know, things that don't feed you from a food standpoint. I mean, if you haven't eaten all day and it's too, o'clock then yeah you're probably hungry for food because you haven't eaten anything but the in between phases that i think this is where exercise ties in movement ties in sleep ties in stress ties in there's so many other factors to the word hunger that i find that one a little harder to break down
0: well i think one of the good one of the gauges for that is you know think about eating let's say a protein or something or think think about eating a vegetable right and if if you're not willing to eat to that? Eat those, yeah. then you're not really genuinely hunger. hungry.
1: Exactly. Uh, yes, absolutely. If the ice cream is what you're going for, that might not be an actual physical hunger. That might be something else that you're craving.
0: The other thing is you feel this kind of stress and anxiety when you're eating in social settings
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because you're you're afraid that your people are going to judge your food choices or Mm -hmm. you're afraid that you're going to make choices that you're going to regret later. And again, this goes back to the guilt that you feel around the foods that you're eating. Mm -hmm. You should be able to enjoy social settings and eat certain foods. Now, listen, there are instances where, for example, if you are if it's summertime and there are a lot of social engagements, you might Mm want to pick and choose your battles in terms of that. Like you might want to say, hey, you know what? This Friday night, I'm going to I'm just going to eat whatever I want when I go out. But let's say Wednesday or Thursday, there are barbecues on that day too. I might want to just make the best possible choices that I can when I'm eating out or overall, you can make the best possible choices and still enjoy what you're eating.
1: Yeah. I've had this conversation far too many times with female clients, specifically when they go out, they'll be like, I had a drink because all my friends had a drink and I didn't want to not have a drink or I don't I don't want to have to have a discussion over why I'm not going to have a drink with all of my friends. Or I did I skipped dinner and just met them out later for a drink because I didn't want to actually have to sit down at the table and explain why I wanted to eat a salad when everyone was getting appetizers. Like this whole not wanting to have open discussion about food because of judgment from other people that you're around. I gotta tell you, this is this one's mind-blowing to me because I have absolutely no problem going out and going, I'm not drinking. And you bitches need to just step back. I don't need to explain myself. I'm just not having a drink tonight. Or when I sit down at a table, if I order a salad, I say, I'm taking care of myself, guys. This is where it's at. Enjoy your chocolate cake if you want it. But I'm not having that. I find that really, uh, a really hard thing for the women that I work with to speak up and say, this is what I'm doing. And this is the reason why. Because evidently, there's a lot of hatred or haters around making good choices or And or being someone that makes great choices and then goes out and goes, I'm going to have a couple of drinks tonight or, yeah, I'm going to eat dessert and then how that affects the table. I don't know what
0: that is. And I feel like that goes along the lines of like, people just want to almost kind of like bring you down with. Them. Yeah. Like, you're like, hey, I'm staying on track. I'm doing my thing. I'm focused on my goals. And, you know, people yeah. don't want to like sulk in their misery alone. I, I don't know like <laughs> that. Yeah. It's like, oh, yo, yeah, you're just, you know, mediocre as fuck. And you want me to be mediocre with you because then you feel better about yourself. So, you know if i eat it you feel good about what you're doing and that to yeah. me i'm i'm like you know what like that's a tough off.
1: one for me i'll even say i'll even admit this right out to our listeners that's hard for me even as a coach to hear when i talk about this with clients or just in general with even my own friends well like, that's that's the I, com- I don't have to explain myself to you about anything any choices well, that i'm making that's I that's felt. the yeah that's the conversation
0: around like this is my journey and these are the decisions i'm making for me in my life
1: yeah like have you ever had a clinger if, for any anybody listening, have you ever had a clinger? Like when you go out to a party that goes, well, what are you going to order? Well, or what are you having tonight? Like, OK, that's that's a general conversation. Like if we're at a new restaurant someone's like, have you e- eaten here before? What do you like to order? Like, that's one way of that's OK. But if we go out to a restaurant that we're been at over and over and over again and someone's like, well, what are you getting tonight? Are you going to cheat? Are you doing that? And I'm like, I, I can't even sit next to that person. I end up that, moving. I'm like, I, must, I don't I'm not having this conversation with that you. must be.
0: That's like a, a female thing. I, I think like. it is like if my friends ask me, like, oh, what do you want? <laughs> are you fucking are you serious, bro?
1: Group settings are, are a, a, a huge trigger for people.
0: The next thing is you find yourself in this binge restrict kind of cycle. And I, I want to just the the question of like when somebody tells me, I don't know why I I just get these moments where I binge and I'm like, well, You know why it's because you're restricting yourself so much that now you start to crave all the things that you've labeled, quote unquote, bad Mm -hmm. and you eat a ton of it. So the solution is stop restricting yourself. (laughs) Allow yourself a little bit more flexibility again within the parameters that you set. Right. And you're not going to binge. Stop under eating calories. Stop creating food rules. Stop labeling foods as bad. Doing the the things that you're doing and like, you know, exactly like when somebody comes to me and they say, I don't know why I go off the deep end and binge. I'm like, you do know why you do that and you know that that's a problem. So you need to fix that. You're not you don't need to fix the binging. You need to fix the problem that's causing you to binge, which is the restriction. And the last one. You have to overcompensate for what you ate with over exercising. And this Mm -hmm. is where like the kind of like exercise bulimia kind of comes in where it's just like you've eaten a certain food like you had pizza and you're like, I got to go right to the gym and I got to run on the treadmill for an hour. And I have to track (laughs) on my watch how many calories I'm burning because I need to make sure that the calories that I burn are equivalent to or greater than the pizza I just ate. Yeah. All right. So, Nicole, let's let's kind of tackle and I, we've tackled some of this a little bit already, how to tackle this and how to start to develop a healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Don't label foods as good or bad. Like we said before, label foods as either more optimal or less optimal and also put context into more and less optimal within the Uh, Context of what you're doing. So, running a marathon, it's okay to have a little bit more sugar. If you're sitting on the couch, that's less optimal. If you are, you know, doing some heavy resistance training, more protein after your workout, that's going to be more optimal, right? It's going to increase muscle protein synthesis. It's going to have all these positive benefits. You're going to build muscle, you're going to recover. There are benefits to having carbohydrates. I know people fear carbohydrates, but post-workout there's benefits to having carbohydrates because they're anti-catabolic. So they stop you from breaking down muscle. So having some protein and carbohydrates after your workout is going to be optimal. Uh, there may be situations where, you know, maybe you want to have less carbohydrates for the day because you're not moving as much. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, we get into, you know, calorie cycling or carb cycling or things like that, things that are a little bit more of like advanced strategies, which mm-hmm. in this case, if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, let's fix your relationship with food before we start talking about strategies where you're so specific about your calories on mm-hmm. certain days of the week and lowering your calories on other days of the week.
1: Exactly. And and,
0: and let's just kind of just say, OK, well, I'm going to eat good quality food. I'm going to eat smaller portions and, and things of that sort.
1: The big solution to this problem First of all, is figuring out what your goal actually is. You got to know what the goal is so that you then can not only build a healthy relationship around food to achieve the goal, the healthy relationship with food is always the foundation to any stepping stone to get to any goal. If your goal is marathon, if your goal is lifting, is your goal is body fat, if it to drop body fat, to do a show, to whatever the, that range of goal is. You have to have the foundation of a healthy relationship with food in order to enter any one of those goals. So that's solution number one is to start with this type of stuff. And then the goal becomes easy because you have a pathway to the different type of strategies that are going to help you get to that goal in a healthy way in terms of your relationship with the food that you're going to choose to get to that goal. Solution one is you have to have a healthy relationship with food. How do you do that is taking a step back and really looking at what it is that you're trying to achieve.
0: The the goal thing, since you brought up the goal thing, the the other part where people, I think, develop an unhealthy relationship with food is that they're short sighted with their goals. Yeah. And they're like, well, I need to hit this goal on this specific deadline, this Mm -hmm. arbitrary deadline that it just is I don't know where it came from you just pulled it out of thin air. Your goal is to develop a healthy relationship with food and understand and learn about food over a period of time. And then in that longer period of time, slowly work your way towards that goal and create new goals and hit milestones along the way. And that is going to be the perspective shift for you where you're not like, I need to hit this goal right now. So I need to restrict my eating and I need to eat, you know, suboptimal amount of calories. And I need to do suboptimal volume of training, right? Suboptimal by suboptimal, I mean, on the deep end of the spectrum where you're over exercising, Mm -hmm. right? And then you're not recovering from your workouts, you're sore all the time, you're tired, you're lethargic, you're not functioning at work, right? All of these things. So you need to put into perspective the relationship that you have with food as it pertains to your goal and when you're going to hit that goal.
1: Yeah. And we've talked about this in the last part, po- la- the last podcast about owning your process, right? You have to understand that your relationship with food is the foundation, then comes your goal. And then the process of getting to the end result is going to be individual and based off of who you are, and all the aspects of your being. So you can't compare that to anyone else's journey or goal setting or whatever. You can't create, you can't compare that to anybody else's relationship with food. And quite frankly, I feel like a lot of the times you have to just stay more of an introspective focus on what you're happy with in terms of food.
0: Since you bring up the, the, the kind of, you said happy, right? You Use the word happy. What makes you happy? Right. And this is But if you're miserable in your journey, you have an unhealthy relationship with food. So you need to have something that like fulfills you, makes you feel Mm -hmm. really good. Part of the reason why we exercise is it's not just about the result. And, you know, it's interesting because me as a competitive bodybuilder versus me now. And this is part of one of the things that like you look at food as fuel. Like, I don't think that I ever had this radical, unhealthy relationship with food to the point where I was off the deep end. But I had a different perspective around food. And I had a perspective when I was bodybuilding that food is fuel. And I used to say that, like, well, I'm just eating food that is fuel, right? And I've fallen into that pattern, too. But the reality is I'm not just fueling these goals. I'm not just fueling my body for workouts, right? I have to enjoy the process and I have to feel good part of the reason why, so this is where I get into like me as a competitive bodybuilder versus me today. The reason Mm -hmm. why I worked out then was to achieve a physique. The reason why I work out now is to feel well, to feel good. I do cardio today more so than I did then way more so than I did then. And we're talking like the cardio I did then was, Hey, I just want to burn fat. I'm walking on the treadmill for an hour and it's boring, right? Mm -hmm. The cardio that I do today is I realize that there are changes in my brain function when I'm doing cardiovascular activity that I don't get from doing my resistance training or my weightlifting. And I realize that when I eat certain foods, like for example, if I have to study for something for grad school, I know that there are certain foods again, going back to the suboptimal thing. Mm-hmm. There are foods that I'm not going to eat a cookie before an exam. Because I don't feel like that is, I'm going to really be able to focus. I feel like that affects me in a certain way. It's suboptimal there. But guess what? After I'm finished with my exam, I'm eating a fucking cookie. You kind of have to look at your relationship and your relationship with food will morph and change over time, just like exactly. mine did. And you kind of, you have to accept that the reason why you do things is different. And I always enjoy when you tell me that you feel better, right? That's one of the first things when you go on this journey and you develop a healthy relationship with food and you're eating more whole foods is that you start to feel better and then you start to chase that feeling. And therefore, Mm -hmm. the physique will come as like an ancillary benefit to you just doing the things that you need to do. And you start listening to your body's cues and your body's telling you when to eat certain foods and not eat certain foods. Just like Mm -hmm. for me, when I'm studying, I'm like, I can't eat junk food because I got to be immersed in the reading and I can't really focus. This is part of your relationship with food and this is part of your journey.
1: And that's what works for you. And you had to go through some of the aspects of a bodybuilder viewing food as fuel to understand and see things differently now in the space that you're living now. And so none of this is good or bad. It's just been your journey and your relationship with food and how you've come to this conclusion. Yep. And Everybody has that in all aspects of life. So if you feel you've had times in your life where You have had times where you've restricted and now you've learned to do better. There's nothing bad about that. You now know better, so you do better. And all of those things facilitate a better relationship with food so my whole point before about knowing your goal and having the foundation of a good relationship with food your goal as a bodybuilder has built a better relationship with food now as an older guy to change the way you view food it's okay to have both neither one of those is right or wrong it's just been the,
0: the priorities have changed Now, exactly. Now, today, the way that I view it is I think people are so heavily focused on weight and numbers and Mm -hmm. body fat and the way that they look. And, you know, I will say to a certain extent, you're chasing the wrong thing.
1: Yeah, it's back. It's completely backwards. I say this all the time, literally every day, day in and day out. You chase the health of the body first. If you do that. And the health of the relationship with food first. That's your foundation. If you do that, nothing is impossible. Not at any age, not at any disease in the body. You can fix and change pretty much any aspect of your lifestyle in terms of the way you look and the way you feel if you focus on those foundational aspects. We don't do that anymore. Everybody's chasing a size two or Uh, a ripped abs. They're focusing on that and then doing all these bullshit fucked up things to get to those points. And that's how they create a poor relationship with food. It's completely backwards.
0: The other thing that I'll say, Nicole, is the kind of loosening up of uh, the restraints a little bit may be healthy for you, right? So we emphasize food scales and food journals constantly on our podcast because it's a great tool for you developing a perception of portion sizes and calories and macronutrients like we talked about before. But also I go it even with myself, I go in and out of phases. If I create a goal where I'm like, hey, I really want to pack on some muscle right now, or I create a goal where I'm like, you know what? I want to lose some body fat then. All right, cool. I'm going back to the food scale. I'm going back to the portion sizes maybe the food journal. I mean, for myself, I honestly haven't used a food journal in years. And it's not to say that everybody listening to this podcast should not use a food journal because I've had so much experience with macronutrients that I'll be like, all right, cool. I'm just going to look it up real quick. I'm going to piece this meal together. And I know how many calories grams of carbs, fat and protein I need per meal and I'll add it up in my head throughout the day because I've developed that as a skill and this is where food scales and mm-hmm. food journals are an important tool because they teach you how to develop that skill. There are many people that are able to loosen up the reins and get away from that stuff. And then when I have like perfect example right now, I don't really have a physique goal per se. Like, yeah, I tell myself I could be a little bit leaner I could increase my, my muscle mass a little bit that would make me happy, but my happiness also doesn't depend on that a and B I'm focused on other things in my life. I'm not so hyper-focused on that. And when I feel like I, I have like the time and the want to dedicate to that, then mm-hmm. okay, back to the food scale and the portions, because now I really want to dial in on that goal, but that's a different relationship. than I have to use a food scale. I have to measure by the gram instead of the ounce or instead of the cup, because then it's not going to be accurate. Or I have to, you know, th- sometimes if you're obsessive to that level, you need to loosen up the reins. And maybe you need to use kind of that, that hand chart where it's like, all right, well, the palm of my hand, thickness of a deck of cards, that's going to be about four ounces of uh, protein, like a meat or something like that. Uh, my thumb is going to be like an ounce of cheese. Like maybe you need to just do that and ballpark it and the other piece that i'm going to say about that is when we're counting calories we really don't have an idea of how many calories like how was your i'll use an apple how was that apple grown what how much sun was it exposed to how much you know like you know perfect example here the um if you look at different oranges on a tree Mm -hmm. the ones that are exposed to more sunlight versus the ones that are like underneath at the bottom of the tree Mm -hmm. The ones that are exposed to more sunlight are higher in vitamin C than the ones that are in the shade, the nutrients in the food and the calories in the food are going to be dependent on the conditions that it was grown in. And we just have estimates on calories. So when you're out there going crazy about your calories and every morsel of food, just know that calories aren't a perfect system either. And what's going to matter is your consistency with your portion sizes and like you can never weigh and measure anything. And you can say, okay, I have the same size portion of all the foods that I'm eating over and over again. And I have a weight loss goal or a fat loss goal. And I'm just going to decrease that. Like I'm going to cut a quarter of a chicken breast off, or I'm going to cut, you know, maybe I have a fourth of my plate as my starch. Maybe I'm going to have a little bit less. I'm going to take like a couple of tablespoons out of that. You're creating. A deficit by just doing that, and you're not being so crazy with the food scale and with the food journal, right? And you're able to do these things as long as you're consistent with what you're doing. I think that's the important piece to realize.
1: Learning about food journaling, weighing, measuring—I think there's a, it's amazing tool. We've said this before. I use it all the time. I do it myself. But I also think to your point, when you are utilizing those and you're hyper focused on them and you learn you're able to take a step back and now practice. We've, I've said this millions of times already, almost in every, almost all the podcasts we've talked about in terms of balance, letting go of, the, of the, um, the need to weigh and measure everything is part of the practice to see how much you have actually learned by journaling and weighing and measuring so that you can then loosen the reins a bit and practice what you've learned by journaling and give it a shot. Like I say this all the time, if you go on vacation and you've been journaling and tracking your food and hitting metrics and goals, grow, go on vacation, let it all go. And meaning don't need to weigh, measure and track. See how you do. How do you put that into real life practice? You know, As a ballerina or a dancer, we do fundamental bar work every single class to master the mind-body connection behind those movements. Then when you get to the center and you actually dance, they tell you, let all of that go and just let your body move and feel the music, the movement, the, the, the motivation, the inspiration behind whatever story you're telling in this dance. And I feel like that's a lot of how I've implemented food in my life too. I'm weighing, measuring, and practicing when I'm thinking of what I'm putting together for food. But then when I have moments where I can just go out and enjoy time with my friends and feel being with my family and enjoy the practice of the dance, I then can just allow myself to do that without having to worry that I don't know the basic foundations and the skills that I've been practicing when I was at the bar. And that to me is what journaling and weighing your food is. It's the practice. You're giving yourself the ability to fine tune those tools and get to know what your body needs. How much protein do you need? What do you feel if you have too many carbohydrates or not enough carbohydrates? Or what do you need pre and post-workout? Who are you and how does your individual body function? So that when you go and enjoy the dance, <laughs> you don't have to worry about whether you you have those fundamentals. You've practiced that and you can now trust that your movement and your choices or whatever this may be, is going to really be easy and be fun. I've said this also so many times it should be fun. It should not be this stressful to pick a damn protein or eat a salad or pasta or have an alcoholic beverage with your friends. There's way too much stress around it.
0: I'm going to leave it right there on Nicole's brilliant note (laughs) and brilliant analogy. And ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week.